Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to the weekend Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lee Murray, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and we're flying into the weekend. Next week's going to be draft prep. So we're going to do a lot of NFL draft stuff. We plan to have on somebody from Boston to talk about whether the idea of, of Justin Fields to the Patriots is lingering at all or whether that feels like it's less likely to happen. We will certainly get into our predictions about where all these Buckeyes are going to be drafted in the draft next Thursday that is in Cleveland. But this is a good way to wrap it up. We wrapped up spring. We're recording this Friday afternoon. Late Friday morning, we talked with Ryan Day. We talked with Kevin Wilson. We talked with Kerry Combs. And that means we didn't, did not talk to anybody from the quarterback room this spring. Either the quarterbacks or quarterbacks coach, Corey Dennis. Now, of course, we know that Ryan Day is intimately involved in that battle, but Nathan, I had said, ah, you know, I think we'll get him after the spring game. That day didn't happen. Left open the idea. We knew the plan was to get something this week after the spring game. Maybe it'd be a quarterback. Didn't happen. You know, we're not going to make a federal case out of it, but we got everybody else. We got every other position group. We talked to the main players at every position, and we talked to all the other position coaches. We even talked to Parker Fleming who we still don't know exactly what he does. And we didn't talk to Corey Dennis because they could have, they didn't have to give us the quarterbacks. They could have given us Corey Dennis. We get it. Let's not put all the 19 and 20 year olds who were in the midst of a battle. Let's not put them on the spot for us to say, well, do you think you're winning? Do you think you're second? Do you think you're third? I get it. I get it. We could have gotten the QB coach. We didn't. Nathan, what is your uh, view on no QB talk this spring? I was disappointed, but not surprised that we didn't get the quarterbacks. I was especially disappointed that we didn't at least get Corey Dennis. Uh, I just thought that that was someone else that they could use to to talk with some specificity about these guys. And maybe that's what they're trying to avoid at any costs. I don't really understand that. I think, you know, it's not their responsibility to make sure that the media doesn't you know, run away with, with something that they say and take it out of context. I think there's enough people who responsibly cover this team that you could go and have a conversation with them about what each of these guys is doing well 
what each of these guys isn't doing well, because I think there's some of both for each of them. And you could give people a, 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 a good picture of what's going on with this, this battle, because I think people are obviously intrigued by who's going to end up quarterbacking this team. So we've done the best we can. And, you know, Ryan day has been very available this spring and he gets questions about the quarterbacks every week that we talk to him. Sometimes it's been multiple times a week and, I, I think he's been, you know, forthcoming to a point, but he's obviously also they're they're trying to do as much of this as they can, you know, behind closed doors and let the competition happen as organically as possible. Steven, I do think the lack of specificity, Dave's been good about like, hey, they've got to get in the playbook. Hey, they're not there, right? I mean, he's been honest about that. Ryan Day did not come out of spring saying like, oh, we could play a game tomorrow. It'll be fine. Like he, he is a, hasn't expressed that. He has not been any kind of specificity about who does this, who does that. Everything they talk about is the quarterbacks as a group. They don't haven't singled anybody out. So, Stephen, I guess given that, like, I guess it's not a shock, but does it feel like to you that's purposeful that they just don't want to get into details when it comes down to the individual guys in this QB competition? Yeah, and I think it even – when you rewatch the spring game, they ran a lot of the same plays, which as we all know, Ryan Day is going to cater this offense to whatever his quarterback strengths are. And with Justin, it was a deep ball stuff with Dwayne. It was the quick throws. And you kind of asked a question along that lines and they're not even doing, getting that specific with things yet. They're keeping things very vague with how they're approaching the development and learning the playbook because to the point of, you know, you're going to cater the offense to what your talent, the talent that your quarterback is. If you start catering it to certain play play calls, you're probably tipping away who might be ahead because they know what their strengths and weaknesses are. But if everybody's just running the same stuff in practice, not only can they say to us, hey, things are still equal, things are still equal, they can still sell that to the players as well. Nathan, if Ryan, if Urban Meyer was the head coach and Ryan Day was the quarterback's coach and they were having this competition this spring, would we have talked to Ryan Day? I believe we would have. Yeah. We, didn't you guys talk to Ryan Day in 2018? Yeah. So this, this is the thing. This is why, like, you can't, you know, if anybody thinks, like, I'm being too much of a, a jerk when I ask questions about Corey Dennis, like, this is proof, right? Like, in 2015, and this is why it reminds me a little bit of 2015. 2015, Kim, Tim Beck, who was an experienced quarterback's coach, came in to replace Tom Herman, and it was like, hey, who's going to be the quarterback? And he's like, ah. I don't know. It's not my decision. It's like, he's the quarterback's coach, but he just got here. We all knew it wasn't his decision. Right. I mean, that, that everything eventually, you know, comes down to the head coach, but the more experienced you are as a position coach, the more input your the more your input is valued. So that's just where we are. But like, let's not pretend that that's not the case. Right. If Ryan day was the quarterback's coach, Ryan day would be talking about quarterbacks. Corey Dennis isn't. So, I'm not making a federal case out of it, but let's not pretend that there's not a huge difference there. There is. I don't, I don't think it means that they will make the incorrect choice. I don't think it means that the competition is a crapshoot is, you know, because it's a young quarterbacks coach, but you know, they're protecting him. So that's fine, but I'm going to notice it. That's all. <laughs> I mean, the only difference between him and Lincoln Riley right now is he's shelving out an extra three hundred thousand dollars to another human being that Lincoln Riley's not. Yeah, that's true. We Lincoln did, Riley we, is. Yeah. yeah, we did talk to the quarterbacks coach every Monday all spring, that's and true. his name is Ryan Day. So that's fine, but you know we're just going to remind you of that on occasion. All right, so let's talk about the things that we did talk about. And again, if you want to get this right as it happens, Bing Bong Bing, 
614-350-3315 is the way you get that text information as it happens. Nathan's always on top of that. We're talking, we're getting it. You're getting it seconds after it comes, maybe a minute, maybe a 90 seconds after it comes out of the mouths of these guys during news conferences. We don't expect you to watch the live stream. You have lives, but like we can hit you with the highlights. So if you get a 14 day free text trial, that's the kind of stuff you can get along with the analysis, along with the fun stuff, along with the recruiting. That's 614-350-3315. So I'm going to start with the defensive side of the ball because we did talk to Kerry Combs. And Stephen, you had the first question to Kerry Combs. And he confirmed what we thought, which again, we have said is an important part of spring. We get our eyeballs to some degree, but then we want them to say it, to say our eyeballs telling us something. And Stephen, you asked about Kerry Combs feeling better about the options. What did you think of his response? I believe him. I, I think it's, and that's a good sign because it's one thing for us to watch the spring game and come away wait, thinking. Wait, when I set you up and say, what did you think of his response? I didn't say what his response was. Oh, yeah, that's fair. You He's, have he... to then say, you said you believed him, <laughs> but nobody knows what it is that you believe. Yeah, he's, he's, he said he's very comfortable with where, where the depth is right now, what their options are at the moment. And and, and I believe him on, on that standpoint, just because it's it's one thing for us to go to some practices and see that Ryan Watson, Legend Cavazzo, they're literally the only outside corners other than Tyreek Johnson who are healthy. But then and then see Ryan Watts maybe make some plays and flash in the spring. But it's then another thing for a guy who's a cornerbacks coach by trade like Kerry Combs, who has to worry about that stuff, come out and say, yeah. All last year they talked about that they didn't have other options and they didn't that they felt comfortable putting on the field because COVID happened. Well, they don't necessarily have that excuse this year. And I think the way he talked about them today and the depth that they've built, even if it meant Seven Banks and Cam Brown weren't out there as well getting those reps. Ryan Watts got 500 reps this spring, and those were valuable for a guy who didn't get any reps last spring. Yeah, but I don't think it's an excuse. Like it. Last year, it wasn't an excuse. It's like they honestly, it was like, well, we can't do it. It wasn't an option. No, yeah, yeah. Options yeah, yeah. the word, not excuse. They didn't have the option. They had to play who they had to play. They have, they have guys to choose from here. And so he, he said, we're much, much more comfortable. We have significantly more depth. That's a direct comparison to a year ago. And as I wrote after the spring game, that's pandemic related. And it's also related to where they are with their recruiting that last year, the year two guys were part of that sort of a little bit of a recruiting dip. And this year, the year two guys are sort of a part of a class in 2020. That's a bit of a climb back up to where they expect to be. So I did believe him on that. Nathan, I thought when he got into Ryan Watts, I didn't realize this necessarily that Ryan Watts is the tallest cornerback that he said he has ever coached at six, three. That's, Interesting. And he, again, reinforced specifically the idea of I came away with the impression that Ryan Watts is going to have a role this fall. Yeah, I mean, it was something that struck me. And I think I, I, you know, I'd seen it on rosters or whatever before. And I think I mentioned on the podcast, just going out to one of the practices we were able to see and looking across from a distance and, and seeing Ryan Watts and being like, oh, wait. Is that is that a defensive back? Like, because it just doesn't it doesn't look like he he fits there at at first glance. Um, because he does have a size that a lot of guys in this room don't. And you know, it, the the most important thing I think is that Kerry Combs talks about him in terms of okay, fine, he's tall, but it's more like here's 
here's why he's tall. Here's why we wanted him because he's tall. You know, here's how his size maybe helps him be a defensive back that helps Ohio State this fall. He can, you know, get his hands on balls that other guys can't. It, it just gives him a different, you know, the same way we talk about a catch radius with a receiver. He's got a, a defensive radius that he can employ. So they're just little things like that. But again, a year ago, you would have said all the same things about him or, or whenever he got on campus, you would have said all the same things about him. He still was tall. But now it's like, here's how he's refining the physical talent that he got here with in a way that he wasn't able to do last year, which I guess just gets to the point that you guys were just making about really the whole room in general. Yeah, I think most guys who are that tall, 6'3", end up being safeties. I mean, if you look through his – it might be the tallest guy he's ever coached because most of the guys, if you go look at the guys they've offered, they're all six foot, six one, one ninety. That's the type of corner he wants. That's what a first-round corner looks like. That's what Jeff Okuda was. Uh, Denzel Well was shorter than that, but he was fast as all can be. But then, well, I mean, Will Johnson, five-star, Ohio State was in on end up going to Michigan. He's 6'3", another guy, Ephesian Price Sox, that they've offered is 6'3". So, but those – usually if a guy's 6'3", you probably want him at free safety or strong safety and the, uh, other than corner. I also came away, given the specifics of the Ryan Watts discussion – but also, every, you know, it's like, oh, he's going to get asked. To, is, is Kerry Combs going to get asked a question about rotating? And then he brought up rotating on his own in the midst of an answer to something else. And he said something about you. You don't want guys having to play 78 snaps out there, right? And when you look at the snaps, national title game, Sean Wade and Seven Banks played every snap. Sean, Sean Wade missed one. They played 84 snaps at corner in the national title game against that passing offense. They couldn't take him off the field. Semifinal against Clemson in that passing offense. Sean Wade, Seven Banks, Marcus Williamson, every snap. They played every snap. And now sure to Josh Proctor, but they're not going to rotate safety. It's not the same thing. You're not running with the receiver, right, and running downfield every snap. It's not the same kind of exertion. He said, emphasized again, that's not his ideal plan, is not to play corners every snap like that. We spend a lot of time, Stephen, on this podcast talking about that. Did you come away believing that we will see some sort, and it might be like 2016, where it's three guys through, through two spots, the way it was with Denzel Ward, Garon Conley, Marshawn Lattimore. Maybe it's just Ryan Watts, but maybe you have Ryan Watts, Seven Banks, and Cam Brown rotating three guys through two outside spots. Do you believe there will be some sort of somewhat significant rotation at cornerback this fall? Yeah, at, at bare minimum, I think it will, it's, Seven Banks is just gets aside. And then at least Cam Brown and Ryan Watts are the rotating guys. But I, that would be ideal to have three guys to two spots for a team who likes to play press man as much as they used to be used to do. I think it, when they introduce cover three more to the situation, that's part of why in 2019, Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett played that many snaps because you're not chasing a guy around all game. But I do think there's a happy medium between what, 30 snaps between three guys just playing 30 to 40 snaps each and rotating versus the 70 snaps that Sean Wade and, and, and Seven Banks ended up playing. I think there's a happy medium between there that Kerry Combs wants to live in, where it's still three guys, but it's, a, it's maybe less of a – it's not as hectic of a rotation because they're not playing press man every single snap. But I do think it'll be three guys who are getting significant time on the outside. My Jeff assumption is even if two guys were to still be the clear two best guys in that room, we would still see more rotation, right? That it could still be more like a – maybe like a backup running back situation where somebody comes in, even if it's just once per half or whatever in that first half and gets you some blow. I mean, they've got to find some way to, to get those guys some break. 
but they didn't have a guy to play last year. Like, I mean, right. again, like who right. would, who was supposed to rotate in? Like Kerry Cole said, well, who am I supposed to put out there? The yeah. time we put Tyreek Johnson out there because we were forced to by COVID, like he never played again after that. Like he, he's not good enough to rotate in. But now again, and Ryan Watts and Legend Cavazos as true freshmen, we're not going to do that. They're just, that wasn't ever on the table, especially in a practice limited pandemic year. But now there are options. So I do think that'll be it. And, and I don't think it'll be like, the, they don't rotate. In the Combs era, they didn't rotate of like, oh, every fifth series, a guy got a, got a series, right? It's like, if they're going to rotate, they're going to rotate. And they almost mm-hmm. always rotated. So if you rotate three guys through two spots, which is every third series, you're off, which is a nice little break. And then you're on for two series, and then you're off. And you everybody can play boundary. Everybody can play field. You just do that. And that would be my expectation. If I had to guess right now, I would say it'll be three guys through two spots. They're all equal starters. Banks, Brown, Watts. And then if Legend Cavazos does something and tells you, no, let's do four guys through two spots. We'll do two on one side and two on the other. Great. I think that's possible too. That would be my expectation given the way he said it. And then also given the way he talked about Ryan Watts, he said, Ryan Watts had a great spring. So there's the theory of rotation and there's the application of a rotation based on the personnel. I thought he expressed both of those in this spring wrap up, which will lead me to believing because listen, I mean, maybe Ryan Watts is better than Cam Brown, but I think they like Cam Brown enough to know that if Cam Brown is healthy, he can play for them. Right. I don't know that that's, I don't think it would be like, it's just Ryan Watson, seven banks and like Cam Brown's only a backup. Now I don't think we'd go there. I think it's only a matter of is Ryan Watts good enough to be in a rotation. And I think that to me, Kerry Combs was basically saying that's been proven. Ryan Watts is good enough to be that. So I'm thinking at least three, maybe four, depending on what legend does. And then listen, Tyreek Johnson's out there a little bit. Maybe Tyreek Johnson has a great August and gets back in there too. So that I thought was interesting. The bullet, also interesting. Nathan Baird asked the 11th bullet question of the spring <laughs> on Friday. Of this, even, of this, of this interview. Yeah, this, felt yeah, like. this Zoom. <laughs> even apologized for it. Yeah. Even apologized in the question. But I thought it was interesting, Nathan. Now, if I set you up and say, you ask an interesting question, if I don't say it, you must restate the question and the answer, or I can state the question for you. We can do this either way, but I'm going to leave it to you. There was a bullet discussion, and it's about how they're going to use it, but also the guys involved, and it did give us a little more information. Well, it's something we've been talking about on this podcast is the two guys who we saw play the bullet, the two guys who had the BLT next to their name on the roster were Craig Young, who is a – I guess now you call him former linebacker and looks like a linebacker and Ronnie Hickman, who is a former safety and looks like a safety. Now we know that that's the hybrid, you know, suppose, you know, it's kind of supposed to be the baby of those two kinds of positions, but those two guys still look like what they are. So I asked Kerry Combs, is that what you want? Do you want multiple athletes at that position? So it's interchangeable and you're getting multiple within being multiple in the defense Or do you want both of those guys, those kinds of athletes, not even just talking about those guys specifically, but we are for 2021. Do you want those athletes to sort of develop towards more of a middle ground of, of to sort of look like each other more over time. And his answer I thought was that he kind of doesn't want to give away too much, but it sounds like they want like that multiple thing. Having two different kinds of athletes there is something that appeals to them. They, they like the idea of being able to match up, 
with teams and they like the idea of here's what this guy does really well. Here's what he doesn't do that well. And vice versa for the other guy, use those two guys together and get the best of both and not expose the weakness of both. So I'm, I'm in, still intrigued exactly how that'll play out this fall and throw court Williams there in the middle, right? Cause he's almost like the middle of the three. He's almost the closest in body to like being the middle of the three to me. He's the third child. It's like the first child you is this Craig Craig Young. You experimented with it. You weren't perfect as a parent, but you you know figured some things out. Then you got the middle child in Ronnie Hickman, where you you got this. You're not worried about some aspects of it, and then you just you've mastered it with Court Williams as your third. That's your third baby, and that's what it's they like, master. And then these recruits coming in are the grandkids. We're just like, yeah, they got this. It's like Little Red Riding Hood. Like this, this bullet's too linebackery. And this bullet's too safety, but this bullet's just right. Just right. Yeah. That is better because I was going to say it's like Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman had a baby and it was Court Williams. And that's not. I was good. too, but I, that's I, just I was like trying weird. to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Court, would you, is it fair to say, Court, that you're like if Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman had a baby and it was you? And then he just drives me through a wall. Um, all right. We're going to give you a little break from Bullet Talk. We'll be right back with more of it on Buckeye Talk. I realized as I was saying it that we almost could t- change the name of this podcast from Buckeye Talk to Bullet Talk. So welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is not Bullet Talk, but Kerry Combs, Nathan, was talking about the idea of, hey, like, why the bullet? And it's like, well, you want to be able to defend the run and the pass. And if you have a bullet out there on first and second down, you can do both without having to give stuff away in personnel, without having to guess in personnel. But it's also part of this. It's like the positional. And as we, we've had this conversation a million times, it's the person, but it's also the responsibility. And when you see them line up, you know, this spring, that bullet position was lined up like another step back from the two linebackers, right? It's, it's that Sam linebacker isn't really in the box sometimes anyway. But if you looked at the, if you took a screenshot of the defense and said, which one's the bullet? You'd be like, well, that one. Because it doesn't look what they're the way he's lining up, what he's doing doesn't look like the other three linebackers. And there are times in a defense when you just have three linebackers lined up right across the formation, right? Two outside linebackers and a middle linebacker. And it's three guys doing the same thing. And you can tell, you know, the Sam linebacker is a little bit different, but that's what they want. It's not their third down look, right? It's not the third, it's it's the which leads to Nathan. Is this the base now? Like, did you get? I mean, we sort of it's what we saw in the game. It looked like the base defense. If you're going to call that more of a safety, now we're in a 4-2-5. We're not in a 4-3-4 world, right? Did you get that impression from Kerry Combs, or is that a bridge too far? I don't know if he really fully committed to that. I think he was sort of asked that in a roundabout way today. And I don't. Uh, Landis, I think, asked it pretty directly almost. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I don't think he wanted to go there completely because of the injuries that they were dealing with this spring. It This was something that almost out of convenience, they could experiment more with the bullet, I think. But it, 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 but it's also so, man, there, there are some semantic arguments here because when you're talking about Craig Young playing the bullet, it does seem still very close to a 4-3-4, depending on where they line him up. But when, if you put but Ryan not the way, the bullet, but that not seems the way like a 4 lines up, But not the I way he lines up. Not, yeah. not the way it looks on the field, though. He, where, the way he's positioned on the field, he's still a little more outside. I see what you're saying, yeah. I, I, he doesn't line up the way Justin Hilliard would line up, right? If he yeah, was the, out there. And the fact that he's yep. with the defensive backs, uh, this is a four-two-five well, defense, right? Yeah, that that I guess that is ultimately what makes it more like a four-two-five because he technically, I mean, he literally is practicing like a, a 
with the defensive backs. But Doug, I thought your question w- was smart. I mean, you asked just kind of about the philosophy going forward, right? About uh, you know the 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 single high safety was installed to primarily make you a defense that completely shuts down the run, and then you adjust to that, right? When you make teams have to throw the ball and you hope your defensive back talent that Ohio state will often have hasn't maybe last year, but will often have a, a surplus of defensive back talent or an edge in defensive back talent. And there you can take advantage of the passing game and, and the pass rush talent. But this is where the, the, the bullet seems to be the natural next step for that is giving you, you get to keep that same philosophy basically, but just adding a more versatile player at that position. So the thing that maybe I'm just slow to realize, but Kerry Combs reemphasized today, and maybe maybe everybody else was like, "Yeah, of course, Doug. What are you, what are you talking about?" But in Kerry's first year back as the defensive coordinator last year, as it turned out, I think probably like four of their best eight defensive players were linebackers, right? I mean, if we were going really right going through it, and again as we talked about, I think there's a little overestimation of Justin Hilliard's role last year. If you're talking snaps, I mean, he didn't play the seventh most snaps or anything on the team, but I think in terms of like value and when things get down to business and, and how well you perform when, when you are out there. Right. I mean, I think, I think you would have made that case that four of your best eight guys were Browning, Borland, Warner, and Hilliard. Well, you know, Kerry Combs are talking a lot today about play your best 11 guys. And it's like, all right, well, our best 11 guys, were those four guys. And so that's pretty good. I don't know that it helps you stop Devontae Smith, right? It doesn't really match up with Clemson and Alabama. It kind of helps you get through the Big Ten schedule. But for Carey, right, Carey being back, Carey left when in a world where Ohio State played two high safeties. Ryan Day takes over. He wants to play one high safety. Carey Combs comes back. Now they're a one high safety defense, but this is also the personnel they have. So we didn't see any two two deep safety defense this year, but it, it did reopen my eyes to the idea of like, Oh, okay. Well, if they're less linebacker heavy this year, right. If they're going to bullet, if they're not getting, well, part of it is personnel. And so, okay. And I don't know if like last year when we were like, why can't they do this? And why can't they do that? I don't know that Kerry Combs ever said, I have four linebackers that I trust. I have like, I don't have four other guys and the rest of the defense combined that I trust. So I got to play the guys I trust. And then you wind up every now and then with tough Borland covering the Heisman trophy winner and everybody's brains explode. But Steven, like that just, it's of course, of course, but just the way Carrie said it today, I was like, Oh yeah, no, that was true last year. And this year you would not say that four of your best eight defensive players are linebackers. So even if there's a, maybe there's a natural, I don't even know if it is a philosophical shift, but it's where you would have wanted to go anyway. But the personnel has also changed enough that you can see that reflected in the 11 guys that are going to be on the field. The personnel has changed, but also they have some experience, even if it's just them in practice getting reps and you can trust it on the field at this point. So I, I don't know, maybe Ryan Day is right in, in saying that it's kind of impressive if they got to the national championship game, given all that. I mean, you limited options you can only literally play 22 p 22 to 26 people which is pretty much the norm but you couldn't change things up whenever you needed to because because of who you were playing you just had to stick with having four linebackers on the field against alabama which is never ideal so maybe it is impressive that this team got to the national title but yeah now the only difference now it's about trust now you have this trust because you've seen these guys go through a spring of development 
Doug, I, I thought what he said today um, validated some of the things that you and I were saying when we wrote up that kind of analysis of the national championship game and, and the way the defense looked. Because, I mean, I know there was a big clamoring for what were they doing? Why didn't they have two safeties on the field more? And it was like, well, put two safeties out there, put three, put you know, three down linemen and eight safeties if you want. But if they're not good football players, they're still not going to stop Alabama. And I, our conclusion at the end of the day was that they needed to de- just develop more defensive back talent. It wasn't so much how what number of them they were putting out there. The, whatever ones they're putting out there had to be better. And I think they're seeing that. And so it was like, but I think, you know, as we're watching, it's like, are they just trying to stop Najee Harris first and then deal with the passing game? Mm-hmm. But like, if we would have said to Kerry Combs, hey, Kerry, why didn't you play six DBs against that Alabama passing attack, I think he would have said, would you please show me the six defensive backs that you would trust to put on the field at the same time? Please point them out in the locker room because I can't find them. But you know what I can find? These four linebackers. So Justin Hilliard played 52 snaps in the national championship game. And that probably doesn't make sense. But I think the thing that we now can definitively realize, right? National championship game, Werner, 75, Borland, 68, Browning, 62, Hilliard, 55. Meanwhile, the two corners, the two outside corners and Josh Proctor played every snap. They played 84 snaps. Marcus Williamson played 52 as the fourth DB and like Lathan Ransom as the fifth DB played nine snaps. And it's like the fourth linebacker played 43 more snaps than the fifth DB against Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Mac Jones. And they had to do what they had to do. Right, Steven? I get it. But you got 52 points dropped on you. How much, I mean, how many more points would Alabama have had if you had tried something else? I don't know how much more it would have hurt. They scored 52 well, but it's what you practiced, right? I mean, like it is. No, you, you, for like the- no, you're you're right, but it's just I know, and this is probably hindsight seeing it afterward. But either way, they would have had 52 points dropped on them. Well, but I think that so. The thing is, I don't know that anybody is arguing that it was an effective strategy, right? No, yeah, so, that's fair. Let yeah. me tell you why Ohio State's defensive strategy, Alabama, was actually great <laughs> because they could have given up 90. Nobody's arguing that, but I think. We understand now that a big part of the reason was personnel based, not a flawed philosophy that they will carry forward. And Bryce Young's going to do the exact same thing to them in the playoff because they're going to be bound and determined to stop the run first at all costs, even in the face of a great passing attack. I, I don't think that's the case. It really was personnel. Yeah. Which we knew the personnel wasn't good enough. And now the back end personnel is better. And it just, and, and back to the very first question you asked, Carrie, Stephen, they just have more options. And that was the theme of 2020 on either side of the ball. It's why Garrett and Chris got every single, every single target you can think of. It's, it's, it's why seven and Sean didn't come off the field because you didn't trust guys now. Um, and so now if you apply that philosophy that Kerry Combs is going to try to use with the secondary, where he feels like he has options where he can rotate, do other position groups feel the same way about their personnel, given that there are some talented guys all over this roster, even if we know what the top end looks like. And we keep talking about the national championship game too, just in terms of back end uh, talent, as if having Tommy Togia and Tyreek Smith for that game might not have made a 
somewhat substantive difference. So that's another thing to remember. And, and I, it, what did you guys make of the answer that Ryan Day gave about the idea of making wholesale changes to the defense this year and how sort of uh, more he's had time to reflect on it and how much like admiration he has for how they coached last year on defense? I mean, it sounds like he's had the conversation with himself that we're having right now, right? Yeah, right. That like in hindsight, man, we were not very talented there, right? Like that, mm-hmm. like, I can't believe we got to the national championship game with that stinking defense. Is, is that what the impression that you got, Nathan? Yeah, that was essentially what I like. He's He was like almost kind of gushing about how they figured out a way to get to the national championship game with some of the guys they had on defense that were just not guys. I think some of them at this time last year, if you had told them X player is going to be starting at X position in the national championship game, they would have said, huh? And right. they got it done. This is where being in the big tw- 10 helps because um, where nobody can throw the ball other than Indiana, you could get away with that for six, for five games. If they had been in the big 12 or the sec, it probably would have given up a lot more points. I will also say, I, I do think there's something just to be said again for the rotation idea. You know what might help a corner who's like getting fried by the Heisman Trophy winner in the national championship game? A Maybe break. take a series off so he doesn't have to play 84 snaps against the best passing offense in the country. So he can play two out of every three series instead of heading out there time after time after time to get filleted. But they didn't have that option. Hey, Kerry, why didn't you give Seven Banks and Sean Wade a break? Give them a chance to catch their breath, right? Reset their mind from the sideline. And he would say, would you please point to the corner, the third outside corner that I could have played and trusted in that situation? You're telling me Sean Wade needs a break from covering the Heisman Trophy winner? Which true freshman would you like me to put out there instead? Right? There's no or, options. There or were Tyreek no Johnson. options. Or, or Tyreek Johnson. No, no, no. no. And Kerry would say, Mm-mm. no offense to Tyreek Johnson. Did you watch the Michigan State game? <laughs> Are you sure? Right? I mean, again, and it's all the stuff. Listen, and I think Ryan Day, I'm not going to dig up the quotes right now. I'm sure Ryan Day last year, Nathan, said our personnel's good enough. It's not it. We got to coach better. Plenty of time. They well, lie. I think I he think told what, the truth about this last year, all during the season, and the coaches aren't going to throw the players under the bus. I think more accurately, what they said was, "We have to make the talent better," but that is their job too. There's just only so much you can do during a season, and during a, on, on a, a season that's already that's also being interrupted by COVID after a off season that was chopped up by covid like there was there wasn't a lot that they could do to make some of those guys better on the fly especially better enough to beat alabama now 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 doesn't mean we're saying Kerry combs doesn't need to get better he does they need to be better but also i think when you are constantly feeling like you're trying to scheme something up to hide the holes in your defense it, it inhibits your creativity a little bit and it inhibits your ability to take some risks to get after it. Kerry Combs kept talking today about how we're going to attack an offense. We have to figure out how – I don't know how much they attacked last year, right, honestly. They were trying mm-hmm. to hold on for dear life sometimes. So I do think the scheme has to be better. I think the play calling in the moment has to be better. So they, they have to disguise more stuff. They have to do a better job of when they go back and forth between man and zone 
You know, I think they can try some more creative blitzes, that kind of thing. But I think if you said, Kerry, why didn't you do that last year? He would say, did you see me trying to hold together a competent defense with some of the guys we were putting out there? We just couldn't do it, man. Yeah, so- I agree with that. I, I agree with the, the you're trying to hide stuff and you also don't have somebody out there who can offset it. Like, let's just, I mean, I think we, we had this discussion before where this defense benefit more from having Chase or having Chase on this defensive line or Jeff Okuda in the secondary. If you just have one of those guys who can offset some stuff for you, it can at least balance things out. Like Chase Young being in the quarterback's lap every single snap or Jeff Okuda is at least, at least he's shutting down one side of the field. So now you can focus on, you know, giving Sean Wade some help on the other side or whatnot, but you didn't have that. Plus you had holes leads to, you know, 52 points. So, in the end, my conclusion based on what we saw this spring and the way it was talked about all spring and the way it was wrapped up on Friday is that the defense wasn't good enough last season, but there are multiple reasons to think it'll be better, which is, I think, what you just you wanted to come out of spring feeling that. And I think that's an honest feeling. I think our eyeballs told us that Saturday, last Saturday at the spring game, and Nathan, from what the coaches are saying, I think they truly believe it, too. And then you go into August and say, okay, we know we can get better. Now let's figure out exactly how we're going to do it. But the other thing Kerry said is, you know, we're not looking for 11. We're looking for 15 or 16 guys here with sub packages. If you're going to rotate slot corner, if you're going to rotate the bullet, if you might throw, he didn't say throw in a second safety, maybe you throw in a second safety here and there. We know you're going to play at least three ends and at least three tackles. So can you get to like 15 or 16 guys that you believe in? on this defense by September 1st, Nathan, I think they can. And I actually think, I think they're being honest. I think they feel good about that. And I think in that way, it has been a very productive stretch here from the minute the national championship game ended until now here at the end of April. But again, we always bring this up, but we're only judging Ohio state by the standard that Ohio state has set. I think year in, year out, you look at Ohio State and you expect at all 11 of those defensive positions, they probably have one of the best, like what, four guys in the Big Ten at worst at pretty much every position on the defense? Oh, for sure. At, at, at worst. Like 100%. At worst. And I don't think that was true last year. I think there were multiple spots where they did not have someone who I would have ranked that high in the Big Ten. Um, and that if you can't if, if you're being ranked that low just within the big 10 then it gets exposed when you go to play alabama especially when you start pulling some of the guys who would be ranked like first or second off of the field so i i think that it's not just the depth i think there's reason to believe that they're just going to be just purely better the, the top end guy whoever is starting at that position getting the most snaps at that position will be better it's it, the options are nice too but it's about just having 11 guys who are better collectively than the 11 that were there last year and he did talk a little about Cam Martinez, was specifically asked about Cam Martinez, and I think that adjustment sounds like what we thought it was, which is high school quarterback, year two, learning defense, figuring it out, but a lot to work with, and it sounds like he'll have a role this season. I also love that we finally know exactly what to call that position. It's not a slot corner. It's a cover safety, officially. That's what he called it. He did call it that. Cam Martinez isn't a safety, though. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. I, I don't know that I'm going to change my mind on what I call it, frankly. So, because if you're a safety, no, I get it. Sh- show me the safety thing that you're doing. What's the safety thing that you're doing? Well, your safety is covered sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, but, These guys but, do it every single snap. What are they going to ever do that isn't like a, 
a corner thing, which is like deal with that receiver, either in man or zone. I don't, I think it's, it's much more corner and ask, I mean, ask me when we go watch and they break up into position groups and this is the tell, like we work right. Yeah. Craig Young, we're saying we're making a big deal that Craig Young's with the safeties. Where Lathan are Lathan Ransom and Cam Martinez practicing with Cam Cam Brown and Seven Banks, or are they practicing with Josh Proctor? My guess is that they're practicing with Seven Banks and Cam Brown. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong, but Th- that if they are. I'm calling them corners. My two years here, I don't remember that position ever like lining up deep at all. Like go back to 2019, whenever they would even be um, make adjustments at the back end, it was Pete Warner that would go deep, and they mm-hmm. would bring Fuller down into the into the. Um, into the box. It was never like Sean Wade going, no. leaving the box yeah. to go be deep. So I, I struggled. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not going to call that position a safety year. All right. We'll take another break. We're going to come back and do the offense. Did we had some quarterback questions? I don't know if we got any quarterback answers though or not really. <laughs> I can't remember. We'll see. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're getting ready for the draft. Nathan, what you're finishing this Justin Fields story that should be up sometime this weekend. It's part of a series. We're kind of writing about people who are taking center stage at the NFL draft. We did a story on Zach Wilson. Ellis Williams did that about Zach Wilson, the BYU quarterback, who's certainly going to go number two to the New York Jets and how you know he's a little bit like Baker Mayfield in some ways. I wrote about Urban Meyer and how he's coming back for his first NFL draft as a coach to pick Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence won't be here, but Urban Meyer's making an Ohio native, making his first pick uh, in the NFL draft in Ohio. I wrote about that. Mary Kay Cabot is writing about Kyle Shanahan, the Niners picking at three, former Browns offensive coordinator. Feels like the Niners have such a good defense. If they get quarterback right again and get healthy, they would go back to being a Super Bowl contender after an injury-riddled season last year. That's going to be on Cleveland.com. And then the fourth part of it is Justin Fields being center stage. Nathan, what's sort of some of the parts of this Justin Fields story? Well, it's just sort of an a, a exploration of how this is a guy who came to Ohio State under kind of unique circumstances for a starting quarterback, right? I mean, coming in as a transfer the way he did – it, it a lot of times with the with the starting quarterback, it's a it's a relationship that builds over so many years through recruiting, and you see them coming, especially the most highly ranked ones, right? And then he just sort of showed up here in a matter of weeks, really. I mean, he was at Georgia, and all of a sudden he's sitting in his his uh, apartment in Columbus. So it's about how in a two year span, a guy who came as kind of the ultimate outsider in some ways and had no real connection, built a, a connection here, and how he did that kind of through his play and the way that he carried himself. All right, and I would like to do this. So I, for the big Wednesday podcast next week, we'll, we'll do where we're going to like have a little, little mock drafts and we'll have to buzz in when we want to take guys and figure out where we will put on the record where we think these Ohio State guys are going to go. But I would like to do Justin Fields on his own separately on the Tuesday podcast. Have us all predict where we think he's going to go and have one podcast next week that is just Justin on the draft. And then the big podcast will be everybody else on the draft because they're going to have another eight, nine, ten guys taken beyond Justin Fields. So look for that next week. But right now, the quarterback battle, Nathan, did. I'm not trying to be stupid. I just am stupid. Did we learn anything more about the quarterback battle with what Ryan Day said on Friday? And I'm not knocking Ryan Day. It's just really hard to talk about in a way 
that actually projects information beyond cliche. I did think we got a little information about timing again of when he would like the job, when he would like to pick the quarterback. I thought we got a little more clarity on that, although I think he's gone down that road before. What was your overall view of the quarterback discussion Friday? Yeah, I knew that he wasn't going to go in and lean this towards anyone in particular, right? He wasn't going to come out and and really praise or really even critique individually any one of those guys. The closest thing we got to that was Kevin Wilson acknowledging like, well, I guess Jack Miller didn't have the best statistical day, but we, we saw that from having watched the game and looked at the stats. So uh, the one thing he did say, he was asked about the timetable. Ryan Day was asked about the timetable and said, if it goes right up to the start of the season, a week before the start of the season, then that's what happens. If somebody separates prior to that, I think he's, he's open to that, but it's, I, it's it's his discipline as a coach. I think he feels to not force that. I mean, it, it still has to happen. Like I used the term before organically, it's got to be just something that happens naturally in the course of things. And it's really more about, as we've talked about many times, it's not just about developing one guy and then the other two get left behind. And you've just got this one guy out front. You still got to develop multiple quarterbacks who are ready to help you win games this fall. He was very into the idea of like, don't to the quarterbacks, don't get caught up in winning the job. The idea is develop to develop yourself. It's not about how you compare to the guy next to you. Right. You know, just develop the best you can. Steven, when he says something like that, does it at all make you wonder if he feels like some of the guys are getting caught up in the competition? Because how could you not? Right? Like it would be so natural. It made me wonder if he was sending a little bit of a message that he's not worried about it, but that maybe he's felt like the guys have been thinking that way. He's talking to all three quarterbacks, but they all have to take it a, a different way. So it's the same where it's just different. So for Jack, it's let's just be honest here, Jack's third from a public perspective, perception. So for him, it's don't worry about your ranking. Like just you're, you're fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep developing. Worry about that and not trying to chase these. You feel like you're in last trying to chase these guys. And while with Kyle, it's you just got here. And I understand that it was always going to be the case that you were going to get here and immediately be thrown into a quarterback battle. But just develop. You just got here. Don't look at it that way. While with CJ, it's, hey, you might be in the lead, but you need to continue to do what you're doing because you haven't. It might seem like you're in the lead, but you haven't won this job yet. So I think a lot of this, uh, there's a little bit of sports writing going on here, which is the kind of sports writing that I don't like, but you can't avoid, I think, in some stuff like this. And it's like, well, when's Ryan Day going to pick the quarterback? It's like, well, he's going to pick the quarterback like when he feels like he can pick a quarterback. But I, but Nathan, tell me if this is wrong. The way he said it, it's like you got to have a quarterback pick by the week before the game so that you have that week of game prep before that. He said you'd like to pick a quarterback earlier than that. Correct. Right? He did say that. So it feels like he's going to pick the starting quarterback a week or two into preseason camp, I would say. That's his plan. That, And he's not going to do it earlier than that because he wants to let it play out still. He wants to give everybody as much of an opportunity as he can. And I would, I would feel like to me that he's going to be like a week or two in, he's going to think, okay, this is my day to pick the quarterback, but he's leaving open the possibility that on the day to pick the quarterback, 
there's still nobody to pick, which is the thing we talked about way at the beginning of all this, which is you can have a battle where it's too close to call because everybody's good. You can have a battle where it's too close to call where nobody's good or somebody can separate themselves. If somebody, if it's clear, if somebody separated themselves, he's going to announce that in mid, he's going to pick it in mid August and start giving that guy all the first team reps. And if he doesn't do that in mid August, it's because he can't because nobody's won it yet. That to me is a slight bit of clarity beyond the, I don't know. That is a little bit more than coach speak. Do we, is that the right interpretation as our listeners try to get ready for what this battle is going to be like, you know, on August 15th? Yeah. And I think, but it's very different too, though. If you get to mid August and you feel like nobody has won the job, that's one thing. If you get to mid August and you feel like you've got two guys who are still neck and neck, that's where I think it's the conversation gets even more interesting in some ways. Cause like in that situation, if they're both good enough to be your starting quarterback in that situation, do you have to pick one and start giving them the first team reps because either one would be good enough and you have to just deal with the ramifications of, of which one you don't pick because that's different than saying, you know, we're not ready to pick one yet. We're going to let this go another week with some different drills, some different analysis, and see if that helps us make the decision. That's two different scenarios, very different scenarios to me. I think he's hoping and praying that somebody takes this job by the second week of, the, of fall camp. I just remember being at media days in, in Chicago in 2019. Obviously, that wasn't real. But the idea of it was real, of how he is going to approach quarterback battles, not necessarily with Justin, but going forward of – I, th- I don't remember exactly his words, but it was if if by then somebody hasn't, you know, wrote, risen up to the occasion, it is either, you know, because no, it's it's probably not a good thing, you know, because if you don't know, at least have an idea of who's going to win this job by that second week. So, I mean, we won't know it, but he'll probably be freaking out a little bit if nobody has kind of separated themselves by the second week of camp, even if they don't come out and publicly aren't publicly ready to say he's a starting quarterback. As Ryan Day was talking, I scribbled on my notebook. You guys can't see it here. M-I-D-M, what day does OSU name a starting quarterback? Oh, that's like good. that could be the first market down Monday. And I do think I was going to ask a question this way, but I didn't think it either would get an answer or the answer doesn't really matter. There's also like, well, when could you cut it from three to two? Right? That like, okay, well, if you're sharing first team reps three ways, now it's like, well, number three, it's not going to be you. Now we're going to share first team reps two ways. And then that's more reps for the guy who's eventually going to be the starter, but it narrows the competition and gives a little more clarity. And maybe you do that by 10 days into August, even if you don't pick one guy. He did kind of answer that today though. I think I'm trying to find it here in the notes, but I thought he said something like that. They don't even really feel like they have to, because that was the way the question was asked. Um, I believe Oh, it was asked. Uh, this is Dan Hope from 11 Warriors. Do you feel there's a timeline going to August where you feel like maybe I need to narrow a competition down to two quarterbacks? Okay. Or maybe I need to make the decision on who our starter is going to be. So it was both things. Like, is there a point where you have to reduce it from three to two, kind of do the the whatever elimination, the game show elimination, you're narrowing the finalists, or a time you have to pick? And he kind of said either one, that there's not really an urgency to lock yourself into a date on either of those things. But then later, but then later he said, like, you'd like to have it a couple weeks before the season right. starts. Ideally, so, ideally. Yeah. 
So I would, if I, from, for, we're telling you this to you, the fans, I wouldn't look for anything before mid, mid, middle of camp, but like by the middle of camp, like if there's not something, I think that might tell you that it's too close to call still, right. That whatever day camp's going to start. I mean, I don't know what, what day is the opener September 2nd, right. Is that right? Thursday, September 2nd. So, you know, two weeks before that, if there's not, if there's not a quarterback by like August 19th or whatever that is, I would take that to assume it's because it's because there isn't one, right. That not just, not just like the natural flow of things. I haven't decided it yet. It's that he would like to decide it and he can't. So maybe mark on your calendar around like August 14, August 15, August 16, expect start to really think it's time for them to name a quarterback. I don't think he's going to do it August 8th. You know, I don't think he's going to just go into for into a week, even though we all think it's going to be CJ and just be like, you know what? It is CJ. It's over because from what he was saying about development, it makes you think like, well, he thinks that, you know, it would help Kyle McCord's development to keep taking some first team snaps, right. And still feel that pressure and feel that urgency and work with the best guys so that he doesn't want to do it on August 8th, but by August 16th, that might be a different thing. Nathan, anything else about the quarterbacks that was worth talking about? Um, if you want to kind of talk about, they were asked multiple times. I think he was asked, Kevin Wilson were both asked about just what does the offense look like with each of these guys and how that could change. I know it's something you're planning to kind of explore later on with some reporting, but but that both of them seem to insinuate that, yeah, there are some things that you emphasize one guy or another, but they're all pretty similar. And the offense itself doesn't change. You don't change the offense. You just change which parts of it you lean on more with, depending on which guy it is. Yeah. This is like another sports writer playbook conversation, which is like, we get it. You don't change the playbook. The playbook's the playbook. But as Ryan day said, it's what you emphasize that you don't run hundred percent of the plays anyway. So it's which, which 60% of the playbook are you using? I do believe them when they say, and it's like, again, there's a few differences, but they did both say multiple times similar, right? That it's, I don't think it's a drastic, but Steven, I do believe that we might have a little bit more of a short passing game that we won't have Justin holding the ball, looking for big plays, looking down the field. We won't have that as much with any young quarterback. And again, I've talked about some of the PFF stats, stat, PFF stats on here before, that will tell you in 17 and 18, the stats show they got out the they got the ball out much more quickly. There were more easy throws for the quarterback. Justin compared to Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett didn't have as many easy throws. Justin compared to Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence didn't have as any as many easy throws. But I, like I don't think neither Justin nor Ryan Day wanted more easy throws for him. Not with Chris Olive and Garrett Wilson. What do we need him for? It's a waste. We don't need the easy throws. We feel like we can kind of convert on third down anytime we need to. We don't need to run a lot of quick, short stuff. But, Stephen, I do think we will see more of the quick, short stuff, regardless of who the starting quarterback is in 2021. Do you agree or disagree? No, I, I do agree with that. And, I mean, you don't need to throw it 40 yards down the field when you've got as many weapons as this team does that can take a two-yard pass and make it a 12-yard gain. So there's no point in putting yourself behind schedule because you want to take it. Now, yes, they're going to take some deep shots because Chris Olave is still the deep threat that he is, and Garrett Wilson's awesome. But it doesn't have to be 
every third play where it's a play action and you're sending those guys down the field. You can drive a little bit. I think in the spring game, they they gave all three quarterbacks in the second half a what a 75-yard drive to see if they can complete it at some point. Uh, we might see a lot more of that where it's not a four-play 82-yard drive in a minute and 16 seconds. It might be a nine-play 67-yard drive in two minutes and 14 seconds, especially early in the season. All right, a couple other things offensively I want to cover that we did sort of wrap up. A lot of this was with Kevin Wilson. Nathan, offensive line, he was asked about the interior of the offensive line. It's the same four names for three spots. We know, and it's really three names for two spots. We know Paris Johnson's going to be a guard. And then the discussion of Harry Miller, Matthew Jones, Luke Whipler, three guys for two spots at center and left guard. Kevin Wilson just kind of like kept that door open on that. Did it just reinforce the fact that there's not an answer there? Or did what Kevin Wilson, as the offensive coordinator, what he said, did it lead you anywhere, Nathan? I just think it's one of those things where it's a little bit hard for them to fully evaluate because, you know, as much as, you know, Harry Miller starting last year and keeping that job all season that, that told you that they have a certain amount of faith in him, but moving back to center was going to be some kind of adjustment for him. And he didn't really get to do it this spring. He got to be involved in some individual work, but Kevin Wilson uh, clarified that it was a shoulder injury that was keeping him out this spring. And so he wasn't a contact participant. And I think that clouded their evaluation of those three spots a little bit. So I think it's something that I, I, I get the sense from just the way that they talk about it, that like maybe there isn't a wrong answer there that they'll find whoever emerges at which spot will happen over the summer into the preseason. Um, it's just a matter of maybe getting Harry Miller healthy again and seeing where he fits the best. They also have because no I, idea. I, don't you fully expect he'll be one of the five starters. And, and yeah. it, it really probably is Jones and Whipler for the other spot. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, they ha- also have no idea what the five looks like together, what the first unit looks like, just because Harry Miller was limited and Matthew Jones was kind of splitting reps at guard and center and Luke Whipple was in there as well. And Nicholas Petit Frere got sick. So they have no idea. We, we all understand who the starters are probably going to be, but the, we, they, they have no idea what that group looks like together and what type of chemistry they have. I have, if I thought before spring that we kind of knew the five, that Jones was the fifth and we kind of knew the five, I'd say I'm less confident in that now. It just feels like to me they keep talking about Luke Whippler in a way that you have to think that he's still in the fight and that Matthew Jones did miss a whatever, a tiny bit of time at least this spring, and Luke Whippler yeah. is there. And the, the issue is Luke Whippler is only a center. Matthew Jones could be a center or a guard in a world where they're comfortable keeping Harry Miller at guard. Could Whippler beat out Jones at center versus if you're going to play Harry Miller at center for sure – then Jones probably has to be the guard, right? So I just, I do think Luke Whipler coming out of spring is still in it. That's my read in the final analysis of how Kevin Wilson talked about it today. Two more guys we want to talk about, G. Scott and Trivion Henderson. G. Scott, and I can't remember, I guess that G. Scott had moved when we talked to Kevin Wilson before, right? So this isn't the first time we got to talk to the tight ends coach about G. Scott playing tight end, is it? Well, I don't. I'm trying to remember back. I don't think we had talked. I don't think we knew G Scott had moved. I don't yeah, think we, we hadn't been to practice it. yet. Yeah. yeah, we had not been allowed to see practice or had not seen that at practice yet. Okay, so the specifics of the G Scott move then, 
Kevin Wilson said he's like in the low 220s weight right now, so 222 or so, let's say. He would like G. Scott up to 230 or 235 by the start of this season, and then he imagines him getting up to 240 or 245 by 2022. Steven, this just feels like to me, and I think we sort of talked about it before, but again, we're looking for coaches confirming our assumptions. Buckeye talk. This is an attempt, probably light, right? Not as good. But I do think this is their attempt to replicate Ruckert Farrell with Scott mm-hmm. Stover. Mm-hmm. And if Cade Stover, they're going to make into Luke Farrell, the best chance at the moment, and this is no shot at Joe Royer or any of the other tight ends here or who's coming, but they don't have a Jeremy Ruckert. Listen, there's no tight end on the roster that was recruited as a tight end ranked as a top 100 player in the country, the way Jeremy Ruckert was, that guy's not here. No offense to those guys. It's just recruiting rankings, man. G. Scott was. So let's bulk him up and see what happens. It felt like a little confirmation, Stephen, of I don't know that anybody should even – I'm not sure G. Scott likes even going to play this year. He's not going to play this year. No. Like Cade Stover I, didn't play last year. No, how many snaps did Cade Stover play last year? Like, he like literally, five. like, like might not play. Like, he's, literally might not play. Kate Stover played a lot of special teams. I don't know if there's, he, if there's a door where, what, where G. Scott plays special teams, maybe. Well, no, as far he as was, he was, player, no. Yeah, he was on special teams last year. I think he was, like, when they would when they played Rutgers and they were doing all those unnecessary onside kicks, he was out there. So he might still be on Hans' team. But, yeah, Kate Stover played five snaps last year. G. Scott's going to play five snaps this year, and it's going to be – well, he might play 15 just because they'll, they'll have those blowout games. But, you know, I don't think he'll play any meaningful snap at all this year because this is a year of physical development as he turns himself into a tight end and but also learns a, how to block like one. You moved a guy's position a year early so that Cade Stover mm-hmm. could practice being Luke Farrell while Luke Farrell was here. Now Luke Farrell is gone. Now he has to be Luke Farrell. You change G. Scott's position so he can practice being Jeremy Ruckert while Jeremy Ruckert is here. Then when Jeremy Ruckert is gone in 2022, G. Scott can be Jeremy Ruckert. That just the way Kevin Wilson talked about it. Not that we didn't know that, Stephen. For me, it crystallized a little. And now it makes sense. The move at first, I think the first time we ever talked about, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And then even when it happened, I was like, I just don't see it that this makes sense now that you're. And if you look at the recruiting, it's Jeremy Rucker. If you look at the roster, they've had Jeremy Rucker was the only tight end like that. Luke Farrell was always more of the interior tight end who was the blocking tight end while Jeremy Rucker was, you know, strictly the receiving tight end who just needed to learn how to block. Benji Gosnell and Bennett Christian are more blocking tight ends than they are receiving tight ends. And we'll see what Sam Hart turns into. And Joe Royer's got a long way to go physically. But if you're recreating the Luke Farrell, Jeremy Ruckert experiment, and you know that worked and you want to do more 12 personnel stuff in the, in the, in the future, what better way than to pull a guy in who was a top 100 receiver and another guy who was a freak athlete in high school to do that. Now, again, and as we've talked about a million times, Jeremy Ruckert started killing people in the blocking game in mm-hmm. 2020. So then that's the next step. So it's like 2021 for G Scott is get bigger. 2022, I think is like be ready to block. play at tight end and throw in the ball a little bit. And then by 2023, the expectation is you need to be a complete tight end the way that Jeremy Ruckert, if Jeremy Ruckert was a quote receiving tight end, when he got here, he's a complete tight end now. And mm-hmm. I think that that, that feels like the path for G Scott, which I'll tell you what, 
you know what? Like, again, we want everybody to be Chase Young, right? And, and Justin Fields, three years and out to the first round of the NFL draft. If G. Scott's path is 2020 receiver, 2021 position transition, 2022 sort of a one-dimensional tight end, 2023 two-dimensional tight end, and then he can decide if he wants to come back in 2024 or not, that's a pretty good career path. And especially if at the end you're going to like go in the third round and like be a tight end that people want because they think you can do everything. I, I, it, it is like we had to process it, Stephen. You kind of were right. Like we processed it out loud on this podcast to an extent. Like I'm just in a better place about it. And again, Kevin Wilson said that G. Scott and his dad was their idea. So like mm-hmm. I get it because when you have an idea, you can't just think about what the idea is going to do for you tomorrow. What's this idea going to do for you four years from now? And I can see it now, especially when Kevin Wilson starts talking about we need him to be 25 pounds heavier by the time that this is all said and done. It's a clear goal. They're going to teach him to block. This guy is a this guy has a football mind and this guy has a football soul. Kevin Wilson was talking about souls today. G Scott's got football in him, right? I mean, I think like this guy, I don't think like G Scott's like a well, if I don't catch the ball 13 times a game, I'm going to be mad kind of guy. He's like a football guy, I think. Mm-hmm. He's from a football background. And I think if you give a guy like that a pass, I can see G. Scott in his own way being very motivated on this path, even though it's not the path maybe he envisioned or we envisioned when he got here as a top 100 national recruit in the receiver room. So I'm, I'm all for it right now. It's because there's a legitimate role that's – has a big impact on what Ohio State wants to do offensively. If this were four years ago, we're like, well, there's a G. Scott story. He's just going to be another tight end that they don't throw to. He's just going to be a blocker. No, they're going to throw to you even if it's only 15 catches a year. And you're going to get a lot of snaps because they want to go 12 personnel just as much as they want to get these wide receivers on the field. I will look forward to talking in 2024 on this podcast about why G. Scott doesn't get the ball more as a receiver. (laughs) After his one-handed catch in the Big Ten Championship game. (laughs) All right. Travion Henderson, Nathan. Specific Travion Henderson question asked of Kevin Wilson, which we always have to preface because the specificity of the question often influences the answer. But in the answer, while saying that Travion Henderson, A, good at pass protection, which was an important thing to note. He said he's good with the ball in his hands, but a lot of freshman running backs are. He was impressed with blitz pickup, pass pro. We noted that because that's the kind of thing that'll keep you off the field. And Kevin Wilson also noted the way he caught the ball in the spring game. So that's two big pluses in his corner. But yet, Nathan, as Kevin Wilson talked about him, he immediately brought Master Teague and Mayan Williams. And then he did say the other guy's names. But I didn't say I didn't think he said them. I think there might have been a semicolon before he said those names. But he kind of said Henderson, Teague, Mayan Williams together. Did you get any read on the running back situation here at the end of spring based on what offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson said? No, I, I didn't get a lot of clarity from him, nor that I really expect any. I just it's one I, I said it after the game the other day that it's just a position that I think I have less clarity on than I did at the beginning of the spring. I thought maybe we would get some guys who really separated and just from what we saw and who was available for the spring game, throws things off a little bit, maybe two. I don't know. They were really rolling everybody in there. Uh, Ryan day was asked about Trevor Henderson too. And I thought 
one thing that was interesting about what he answered was the name that he brought up. And it's a name that you keep bringing up as like the what if on Trey Van Henderson. And that was J.K. Dobbins. He didn't say he's running like J.K. Dobbins. What he said was just like when J.K. Dobbins came in as a freshman and hadn't been able to play much as a senior in high school, then he had to catch up. But obviously he caught up pretty quickly. And that was evidenced by the way that J.K. Dobbins, right? Like he was, he was making an impression that spring. He was making an impression in the preseason. So I, I don't want to read into that too much, but it does seem to be kind of be dangling there that like maybe we are seeing some special things despite the fact that he had to take all this time off of football. I'm going to read into it a lot. I'm just going to, I'm going to do that because he didn't have to bring that name up because he knows what comes with that. You know, J.K. came out of, uh, like a cannon. So he did, we, we all know that that's the comparison Ryan Day didn't have to say it, so he went out of his way to say that, and I'm I'm there now. I, I get it. Yeah, he needs to learn how to pass pro, like most running backs do when they get to college, because most of them don't play in offenses that pass the ball a lot. They just get the ball, so I get that. But Garrett couldn't block to save his life when he got here in 2019, and he got on the field plenty. plenty. Well, um, if you but what, if you're a receiver and you can't block, you, you don't miss a blitz pickup that gets your quarterback killed. That's fair. Yes, but I'm just okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's not like he can go out there and not be able to pass pro at all. But I do think he's three practice three or four weeks of fall camp away from being able to do it pretty well. And he's going to be a starting running no, back. But, and they said he's, they said he's good at it. I mean, they said that he's doing yeah. that well, which I thought was important that they said that. So there's two things at, at play here with J.K. Dobbins. And Ryan Day was talking about the second one, which is J.K. Dobbins got hurt right away his senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. So that was the thing that Ryan Day brought up, which is like, hey, Trayvon Henderson hasn't played football in a while. But guess what? J.K. Dobbins hadn't played football in a while either. And then he was ready to run for 181 yards in his very first college football game. So that is a J.K. Dobbins direct comparison with Travion Henderson. And then as it turns out, as soon as we get off this podcast, I am finishing the Travion Henderson chapter in my Ohio State recruiting book. And I'm finally almost done with this thing. And my publisher is ready to murder me because I'm like a month and a half behind on what the final deadline was supposed to be. But the conversation that I had with Tony Alford for that book and with Trevion Henderson, it just came up time and time and time and time and time again, is that Trevion Henderson committed without ever visiting Ohio state, just like JK Dobbins did. And then mm-hmm. he didn't have to see it with his own eyeballs to believe it. So there are some peripheral things here about the start of Trevion Henderson's career that are very reminiscent of J.K. Dobbins. And so, Nathan, I don't think we have any clarity about the running back room. So I think my my expectation will be when they start camp, Trevion Henderson is not the starting running back when they open camp. But given – and it's just sort of coincidental peripheral things that do bind J.K. Dobbins and Trevion Henderson, except, you know, Tony Alford coached J.K. Dobbins every day. They are incredibly close, incredibly tight mm-hmm. – and Tony Alford talks to Trayvon Henderson about J.K. Dobbins all the time. So J.K. Dobbins, the, re- the reality of J.K. Dobbins lives within Trayvon Henderson. I'm expecting, Nathan, August 1st. It's a competition, and we will continue to hear all of August. And we will talk about it every day on this podcast. Oh, Trayvon's coming. Trayvon's coming. Trayvon's coming. And to some degree, we will relive the August of 2017 when every day, the idea of J.K. Dobbins having not just a role, but a big role, but a starting role became more real every day. Maybe it's just coincidental, Nathan, but it feels like that path, although there's no clarity now, it feels like we could be on that track in a few months. 
I, I certainly don't discount it, but I, where I am, just it, it's really hard. I mean, I think at the beginning of the spring, coming out of the last season, we're talking about, well, will Master T get the first carry on opening day or will Trevion Henderson surpass him by then? Right now, would you say with absolute certainty that if even if we assume that Master T gets the first snap just out of seniority and what he's done, does Trevion Henderson get the second one, the second next running back snap, or is that Mayan Williams? Oh, that's, I mean, and I think it's like more to the point of like, let's guess at like what the running back rushing yards are against Minnesota. Yeah. You know, like, like who, who leads them? Who's first among running backs? Who's first in rushing yards? Who's second at rushing yards? Who's third in rushing yards? And, and I don't know that we would have great, we'd just be guessing right now, but I don't know that we'd feel very confident, Nathan, in any of our guesses if we try to do that right now, because I think Trayvon Henderson could be first. I think Trayvon Henderson could be third. Yeah. And I, and I'm, also kind of out on a, a fence on whether I think that's good or bad. I feel like it's just, you need running back production and maybe we'll decide that that was wrong at some point in the season that they needed to again, just pick whoever and go with it. But if you find a way to use multiple guys to the maximum of their effectiveness, I I'm open to that. I know other people are more suspicious of that, but I'm open to that. But, 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 and I feel like we've had this conversation again, but we're wrapping up spring. I'm okay. Having it a 10th time. Do we not all agree that Travion Henderson's upside is significantly higher than Master Teague's and Mayan Williams? And that, like, nope. yes. if you can get the guy with bigger upside, if the guy with bigger upside is ready, then go with him. So it's I like, think- I, I get it. Maybe he doesn't need 27 carries in the opener, but I think Travion Henderson with his upside should be the starter as soon as he's ready to be the starter. I think Kevin Wilson was asked a very similar question earlier in the spring about the running backs. And I think he was bringing up things like pass pro and all, I might be, I might be misremembering this, but somebody on that coaching staff was asked and brought up things like pass protection and all those fundamentals, ball security, all those sorts of things. And I think it is not insignificant that Kevin Wilson was telling us that uh, Trevion Henderson, you don't have to worry about those things with Trevion Henderson. And if you don't have to worry about those things with Trevion Henderson, we know what else Trevion Henderson brings. So it's just a matter of when it all kind of hits the fire. Is that a term? Did I just coin something? Did I just make up a new phrase? When the running back hits the fire? Yeah. I was trying to be folksy like Kevin Wilson today where he said you could make chicken salad when all the chickens aren't there yet or something. He was in in peak Kevin Wilson mode today. The The – Occasionally, you find out during coach interviews how often coaches say chicken S word in the course of their normal conversation and the lengths they must go to to avoid saying chicken S word when they're talking to the media. So, but he pivoted well before he would have got to that. It was like he saw it coming right as the first chicken got out of his mouth. And then he was like, How did that's pretty impressive? His brain works pretty fast. I think Kevin Wilson says, Make chicken salad out of chicken S word eight times a day, at least every day. It's like, Kevin, you know, like, what did you, uh, how, how was it when you got to the parking lot today? And he was like, well, there weren't any spots up front. So I had to make chicken salad out of chicken S and park in the back, you know? And it's just like, Hey, Kevin, you know, like they, they don't have uh, any more of the uh, hand cut French fries from the lunch place you want. Well, I guess I'll make chicken salad out of chicken S and, get onion rings, you know? And it's just like, that's what he does every day. And then the discipline that he showed with us, he is very folksy. And as we know, Kevin Wilson once was a head coach. And every time he talks to us, 
it reminds, it us, reminds us he really would like to be a head coach again <laughs> because he really does. Here's the thing. And, and we've had this conversation and, and I think there's a deeper conversation and it relates back to sort of what we talked about early on. And then we'll wrap this up. Like the, the scheme stuff on defense and that there is an expectation. They've got to be better scheming it up on defense, but if they have better personnel, they can believe in it more. Kevin Wilson is quite a big picture dude for the offensive side of the ball. He just happens to duplicate. Now you could say duplicate, or you could say accentuate a lot of what Ryan day already does. Right. And Kerry Combs, I think, right, is developing into that kind of big picture guy because Kerry Combs has never been a coordinator before. Ryan, I mean, Kevin Wilson was a coordinator at Northwestern's, coordinator at Oklahoma, head coach at Indiana, and now he's the number two voice on offense at Ohio State because the head coach is an offensive coach. If Ryan Day were a defensive coach and it was like, oh, Kevin Wilson's the offensive coordinator, like Kevin Wilson would just be like, I got this. We got things we'll do. We believe in everybody. We're going to trust things. We're going to jump over a frog like a hot branch. Like he'd be fine. But Kerry Combs, not because he's not able, but because he doesn't have the experience, right? They are so much less experienced on the defensive side of the coaching staff than they are on offense, which is why it gets us wound up. Like, listen, I get wind, I get wound up about Corey Dennis. But Ryan Day is the quarterback's coach. It's fine. Like, I get wound up about Parker Fleming because it's like, well, who, like you could use a guy there. Parker Fleming's literally never coached defense before. You have a coordinator who never was a coordinator before he got here. Larry Johnson has been around forever. Never been a coordinator. Al, John, Al Washington, rising star, never been a coordinator. Meanwhile, on offense, right? I mean, people think Brian Hartline's a rising star. Tony Alford's really experienced. Like, Kevin Wilson used to be a head coach. Kevin Wilson, it's like every now and then it makes you think like, man, they sort of, what if they had Kevin Wilson on defense? Well, they have Kevin Wilson on offense where, you know, Ryan Day's kind of got it under control. So it's great to have Kevin Wilson because Ryan Day's got a million things to do. But Steven, to that point, like whenever you get Kevin Wilson, Kevin Wilson, I think would love to start every news conference by saying like, everybody, things are okay. I got it under control. Like, he's just like, I got it. You know, like we're all good. Let me tell you what it's like. And then, but like, he's just got it. Like he has the utmost confidence in himself. He's probably overqualified for his job because he didn't get fired really for on-field performance in Indiana. He got, he got fired for, you know, the way he treated players in practice, allegedly, like that kind of thing. The dude's overqualified for what he does, and it's kind of nice for the offense. He's for what he's to what Ohio State with Steve Sarkeesian spent the last two years being at Alabama, an overqualified guy doing this job. But but to that point, Nick Saban's not an offensive coach. Right. On top, it's even more extreme because <laughs> yeah, your head coach is a quarterback's guy. That's what it is. It's really all the experiences on the offensive side of the ball while all the specialists, position specialists are on defense. Like, you're all comfortable as long as those guys are just in their room. But when it's time to start collaborating and putting it all together is when you get a little antsy. It's just big picture. It's just big picture. You know, like the the, the offensive big picture, I think, is pretty crystal clear at all times. And the defensive big picture, you just don't have as many people who for as long have had to think about the big picture. And it's just something to keep in mind. All right, Nathan, I mean, well, anything else? Yeah. Well, go ahead, Steven. Go ahead, Steven. Especially now that Greg Madison, because that, that's who he was, and they didn't right. hire Greg Madison, which ironically enough is now funny that the, the position that he brought to Ohio State and introduced to them, they didn't use it the whole time he was here, and now all of a sudden they want to use it now that he's no longer on, on the staff. 
I think we had a version of this conversation in the, in the end. The big picture guy on defense is actually Paul Rhodes, who's a former defensive coordinator. Yeah. He's an analyst yeah, for the that's defense now. So we did talk about that. And I'm not saying that Kerry can't do it. And I'm not saying that Kerry won't be better in year two. I'm sure he will be. I think Kerry Combs is a very, very good coach. But you compare his experience as a coordinator to Kevin Wilson, and it's night and day. That's just, that's just resume. Nathan, anything else we missed? No, there were a lot of questions about Justin Fields and the epilepsy situation, but that's probably better left until we talk more about Justin in depth on Tuesday. Yeah, we will do Justin. The next podcast, we're going to do Tuesday pod, Justin Fields and the NFL draft. The Wednesday pod, the rest of the team in the NFL draft. The Thursday pod, we'll have to think about because the draft is Thursday. And so I think we can probably maybe do something a little goofy and lighthearted. But then I do think, I think the plan next week will be like the Friday pod will be reacting to what happened in the NFL draft on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So I think we may have to record that Friday morning. So maybe the Friday pod next week won't get to you until more like noon. And then I think the Saturday pod, no, this was actually, I think the plan. This is what actually I think the plan is going to be. We're not going to do a Thursday pod. We're going to do Justin on Tuesday, draft preview on Wednesday. Thursday will take off. Then Friday, we'll react to the first round. Saturday, we'll react to the second and third round. And then we'll do a Sunday pod wrapping up the entire draft and everybody that got drafted on the last day of the draft on, on Saturday, right? So those will be your pods next week. We'll take off on Thursday in the middle of the week. All draft focused, reacting to the Buckeyes going into the NFL. And then when we get out of that, now we're into the great wide open of anything we want to do. And we haven't talked about this specifically, but I think my idea is to get into a situation where the weekend pod is a rotation between Buckeye fly effect and retalkables. And we do, we alternate back and forth and we end each week with one of those while filling out the rest of the week with stuff about the team and other kinds of stuff that we're doing. So we'll figure out that off season plan. But next week, get ready for the draft. This is it. Like we wrapped up spring. So there's still more to talk about. You know, we still have more stories coming based off what we learned this spring. But like, we're not going to talk to anybody else. Nathan, I don't even know when the next time is. We'll have like a news conference with Ohio State. It might be Big Ten Media Days in July, if they're in person or not. It very well might be. It sounds like, you know, um, they, they do sometimes work with us as far as getting some one-on-one things. I think we all have some things like that that we want to do. But it sounds like this will be the last formal gathering for a while. So good. Although last up. year, last year we did talk to Ryan day post draft. I don't know if that was coincidental, oh. but we did last year. And I don't know if it, it, we talked to him on the Sunday after the draft. I remember very vividly. So I don't we know if that was spring though. So we were right. Stuff so that's what I'm later. saying. It may have been a coincidence that they were just, yeah. but it didn't seem completely coincidental. So I don't know, but I, I doesn't sound like we're going to do anything else this spring. Sometimes they Justin pick falls a- to the fourth round. And so he could rant. <laughs> Well, but also if Justin Fields goes three to the Niners, you might want to take a victory lap, you know, like, like sometimes it's like, Hey, you might want to celebrate and talk about how wonderful your program was to produce all these guys. That'd be uh, full circle too. I mean, that's where Ryan day was last before he got to Columbus. And now his first real quarterback project is now headed. They traded. It's like, Hey, let me go to Columbus and I'll send you a quarterback in five years. Cause Ryan day, I guess, didn't get technically fired by the 49ers. It's just that his He's head left. coach got fired. Yeah. And then it was like when your head coach gets fired, it's like, I don't know if you're fired or not, but he and Jeff Halfley both were there. And then they weren't anymore and they're doing okay now. All right. 
Thanks to you guys for joining us for that weekend spring football wrap up. We will see you next week with all kinds of Ohio State NFL draft prep for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.